Welcome to the PAPE podcast, where we will look at all things health and physical education in Pennsylvania. The podcast is sponsored by Pennsylvania State Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance. We'll interview rock stars in the fields of health and phys ed, as well as look at some of the current issues that we are dealing with in Pennsylvania. Enjoy this episode of the PAPE podcast. this episode of the PA Health and PE podcast, Dave Schmidt and I interview Dr. Michelle Seeger. She's the director of the University of Michigan Sport, Health, and Activity Research and Policy Center, and also the author of the fabulous book on exercise motivation called No Sweat. She'll also be the keynote speaker at our 2020 conference held at Spooky Nook, December 3rd and 4th of 2020. In this episode, we will discuss motivation, the motivation to exercise, how she discovered this theory working with cancer patients, We'll look at blame and judgment and why that causes people not to lead healthy, active lifestyles. And finally, we will apply these motivation theories to what PE teachers can do in their gymnasiums working with students to develop healthy, active lifestyles. Enjoy this episode of the PA Health and PE podcast with Dr. Michelle Seeger. Welcome, everybody, to the PAPE podcast. We're so glad that you're spending a little bit of time with us, and we have a fantastic guest with us today, author of No Sweat, Dr. Michelle Seeger, is with us today. She will be keynoting for us at the fall conference at Spooky Nook in December. Um, I'm Todd Bedard. I'm hosting the PAPE podcast with a variety of people throughout this season. I was the 2017 president of the organization, and I'm really enjoying this time doing the podcast and getting everything going during this time of isolation and sharing some information with you and being able to bring these guests on and and share them with you. Michelle, if you could just take a few minutes and introduce yourself. Sure. Thanks, Todd. Um, So I have been interested in the topic of how do we help people sustain self-care behaviors like physical activity for almost 30 years. Uh, And I've been studying this question from a bunch of different perspectives, um, psychology, public health, education, sociology, um, business, uh, to really try to get a full view of the elephant, if you will, because I think we need different perspectives in order to create comprehensive solutions that can really work long term. Um, And I won't go into detail about right now about, you know, how that path has curved. Um, But currently, I direct the University of Michigan Sport, Health and Activity Research and Policy Center. And, um, you know, I I continue to be interested in in, in research, what is truly getting in, in people's way, not just of staying active, but really, what comes before that question, which is why don't people stay motivated to move? Why don't they desire to move? And you know, then what can we do to turn these things around? Well, thanks, Michelle. Also co-hosting with me today is our current president of the Pennsylvania State Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance, uh, Dave Schmidt of North Allegheny School District. Dave, take a few minutes, introduce yourself. 
All right. Thank you, Todd. Uh, Todd covered most of it. One of the things I'm really proud of uh, in that presidential role is hopefully soon we'll be calling ourselves Shape PA based on the voting that I have seen recently. We just sent out a poll that the membership the other day and uh, might be changing that. So I'm excited about that. I've been a teacher and department chair at North Allegheny School District, just north of Pittsburgh, PA, for the last 28 years of teaching and 18 years as department chair. I've taught at the elementary, middle, and high school levels. Uh, I'm very excited for this podcast today because our guest today, Dr. Michelle Seeger, I invited to be our keynote this, at this year's upcoming conference, and she graciously accepted. Uh, looking forward to that. But the reason I was so excited about getting her and asking her to do that was I was introduced to her in her book, No Sweat, through uh, Dr. Randy Nichols, who at the time was the department chair at Sipir Rock University, and read the book, loved it, loved the concept of it. You know, it's so obvious that exercise and eating right are what's best for us, but why don't more people do it? And I think Michelle has a really great grasp of those reasons behind. And then I got to go to a workshop with Michelle up at Slippery Rock University, had the chance to meet her personally, and just really intrigued by what she's doing. And I've spent the last two years uh, really trying to in-service my staff on the concepts and working with students on trying to get them to understand the concepts. So I just think it's a valuable resource for all of our students to meet the needs that they have. Uh, so I'm looking forward to moving into this discussion. Uh, Michelle, one of the things I you know, they talk about fitness as medicine and you know, doctors say that they'd be out of business if people ate right and exercised regularly. Is that pie in the sky or do you think that's something that's possible for us? That, let me just clarify that, that um, we could actually get people, most people to eat well and to exercise more. Is that what you mean? Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, I think there's a continuum and uh, a lot of people and maybe even that type of statement from a doctor refers to some, you know, gold standard predetermined uh, outcome that everyone's going to achieve. And I think that, you know, no one's going to achieve a preset standard by other people specifically. But the other thing to think about is you know, instead of thinking about people eating well and moving more or at this certain level of perfection, if you will, what if we had a continuum where we thought about how we can shift everyone from where they are, you know, one step higher or one step to the right? And I think, you know, that, that perspective, um, I think that we can do. And I think that's not going to take, you know, the doctors out, take, you know, close down their businesses. Um, it's certainly, it's certainly going to make people feel better about themselves and be happier and even healthier. But it's certainly, I think that's a realistic goal. All right. It's interesting you say that when I, when I was gone to the doctor, like the last few years, I used to, the last few years have avoided a physical and then health insurance came about and said, Hey, if you get a physical, you don't pay as much. So, but all right, I'll make sure I keep doing it. And, and, I remember talking to the doctor and he's like, man, if, if I saw people who ate right and worked out on a regular basis, I wouldn't see them as often. And that, and that's kind of, that's kind of what we meant by that. And, and, and what you're thinking about with that. I see. I really like your response, though, and thinking about, you know, how kids come to us from all different places and readiness levels and really promotes differentiating and re meeting them where they are with that continuum. I lo love that response. Thank you. So I wanted to talk a little bit about motivation and just shift gears with you for a minute. With motivation, one of the one of my favorite speakers out there right now that, I, that I've read some of her stuff and listened to some of her videos is Mel Robbins. And she has that book called The Five Second Rule, which is you know, basically looking into some of the brain research and how you can trick your brain into just just doing it, as Nike would say. 
Um, and, and one of the interviews that I saw, she said, you know, motivation is garbage. You're never going to be motivated. You're never going to feel like it. You know, that's why we get up in the morning and even our favorite things sometimes, you know, we're like, you know what? I don't really feel like doing this today. I love to read, but not every day. I love to walk, but not every day and so on and so forth. Do you agree with that, that motivation is somewhat garbage? And if so, like how, how do we force ourselves to do it? Because forcing yourself to do it doesn't sound real fun either. So, yeah, I couldn't disagree more with that statement. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of assumptions in that statement. The first and foremost being people are going to be exercising in ways they don't like. And why would we ask people to do that? You know, that, that goes back. There's a, you know, at this point, I would say a very passe understanding and, and idea about what exercise is supposed to look like, what, what, what people, what activities people are supposed to do, how long they're supposed to do it, how hard they're supposed to do it. And, you know, under those circumstances, you know, most people, if they're being prescribed exercise that they don't like to do, you know, sure, they're not going to stay motivated to do it. But that in and of itself reflects the whole problem about how physical activity and exercise and even motivation has been thought about. Um, you know, I'm not sure why someone would say that when there's a lot of research on motivation. And, you know, once we shifted primarily through self-determination theory from thinking about motivation as this quantitative thing, do you have a little or a lot versus a qualitative, um, how, what's your relationship with it? Is it, does it feel controlling, like it pressures you, like you should do this? That, that would be referred to as a controlling type of motivation. Or is this something you, you personally choose to do for whatever reason, because it feels good, because you enjoy it, because you personally value you know, achieving it, even if it's not something that is super fun, but you're choosing to do it. So, you know, I think we really need to go beyond what we've been taught in terms of what exercise and physical activity is um, because it's, it's physical, physical activity has been, has been in a box, a very small square box. And if you happen to be, you know, one of the 80%, um, one of the 80% who, you know, doesn't exercise regularly or doesn't stay, stay active at the gym, you don't fit in that box. So there is a percentage of people who, you know, yes, they love to do it. They love to push themselves. I know this is a conversation that Dave and I have, have had in the past where, you know, the people who love to be in that box are typically the people who become fitness professionals or PE teachers. And so it's hard for folks like us who love to exercise to understand the people who don't, who happen to be the majority of the population. So I know we've kind of taken us beyond what you said, but I really believe if we gave people permission to move in ways that feel good to them or to help them understand what's going to feel good to them, because a lot of people don't even know that themselves, absolutely, they're going to be motivated to do it. So um, it's all about personalizing movement to the user. Well, you know, it kind of goes back to that idea. Uh, you know, my wife has gone through two trainers in her life, and both trainers sort of took pleasure in on leg day in working her so hard that she had to take a minute as she was walking out of the gym and, you know, almost walk to the car. And, and did you feel pain in the morning? And, it's, and we're going to look into that whole pain thing 
that pushing to the point of pain later on. But, you know, in my philosophy with training her, although it's hard to train your own spouse, <laughs> I'm sure you probably understand, um, it, it, uh, is, is, you know, let's, let's do enough to survive to do tomorrow so that, you know, you feel like you worked out, but you're not in so much pain that you're, you're cussing me out any more than you normally do. Uh, hey, to follow that up, uh, my next question was really about, in your book, you talked about how you discovered your, or you uh, came across the idea that you wanted the research motivation in working with a uh, cancer study, I believe. I, mind if, I was going to ask if you wouldn't mind sharing that story. Sure. So I was getting my first master's degree in kinesiology, and we did a randomized control trial with cancer survivors looking at that point to just see if those who exercised reduce their depressive and anxiety symptoms. And, you know, in our pre and post uh, uh, study findings after, I think they exercised, I don't know, 10 to 12 weeks. It was a long time ago. And we found that indeed the participants who exercised did decrease in these psychological outcomes, the, the negative psychological outcomes. But, um, compared to the group that didn't exercise. But what we did was we called everyone back about three months after our study had ended to ask people to talk to them in focus groups. And what we discovered that despite the smiles people had on their faces while they were talking about exercising in these focus groups, that virtually everyone had stopped doing it three months before when the study had ended. And when I asked people why they had stopped exercising, pretty much um, the idea that they were too busy was the answer. Oh, Michelle, I'm too busy. I have kids I have to take care of. I have a job. I have aging parents. And what became clear to me and really what motivated the rest of my career um, is the idea that people who had, if, you know, if people who'd faced a life-threatening illness didn't feel comfortable prioritizing their own self-care through regular physical activity, despite having done it for three months during our study, then we had a real problem in society. And solving that problem was really the genesis of everything I've been doing since then. So I wanted to look a little bit now at, um, so there was a couple of passages shared from your book. Um, the first one is many well-meaning people who started a new exercise plan, especially regarding one with weight loss, will soon abandon their plans. And that's not all. They'll blame themselves, judge themselves, and feel like failures as a result. And you say in your book, I don't feel like it's their fault. We've been educated and socialized in a culture that tells us exercise because you're overweight, exercise has to be uncomfortable to be worth doing. Those are also effective ways, persuasive ways to motivate people to sustain physical activity for their lives. Do you feel like this motive, this motive of gyms and weight loss and fitness product partially to blame? And if so, what should we say to those? Like if we could change, change it, you know, if the world was, let's create our utopia, what would we do differently to help those facilities, which are available to the general public and us to help people continue there? Because the joke, I guess, is January is, is resolutions month. And by March, the gyms are empty. Right. Well, that, I mean, that is the question of the day. And, you know, research shows that when people exercise for weight loss in particular, that it's, it's a short-term motivator. And, you know, I think it's really important to take a, a, a big step back to think about 
the ways in which physical activity has become valued in society. And it's, it's primarily become valued through the research showing that it has health benefits. Um, and so, you know, in a way it's been a natural organic evolution for us to think about exercise as a way to promote better health or to promote weight loss. Um, although we do know at this point that exercise is, is not a good way to pr produce weight loss. So going shifting to your utopia question, you know, I think what we need to do is, first of all, and most importantly, understand where we've come from and why. And it's no one's fault. It's just the way our field has evolved. So I think we need to check that off the box. And I think I just spoke to that a little bit. Um, and then think about, well, if that doesn't work, what can we look to to help us understand how we can create our own exercise utopia? And, you know, I think we just need to look at marketers to understand how they market anything. And it's really about how you help people think and feel about themselves and how, how they feel using products and services. And so we know that research shows that immediate positivity, how we feel in the moment is going to be a better motivator than distant goals in the future like health or weight loss that we have to wait to experience if we experience them at all. So we need to understand that right now when people are moving is going to be the most motivating or demotivating thing we can do with physical activity because that's how our brains work. So that goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is what can we do? Well, we need to make it if not pleasurable for people, at least palatable, so that in the moment, it's going to reinforce our brains in the way they need to to stay motivated. But to follow up with that, with the motivation, one of the things I've been really fascinated by is the wrong versus the right why and the way you explain that in your book. And I've really tied it into recently. It seems like in our society right now, blame and judgment is just such a big thing. You know, everybody's wants to point the finger or, you know, judge them. And I think that right versus wrong why and how we even blame and judge ourselves sometimes can be a big problem we have to overcome. Would you mind taking a moment and just walking us through what you mean by the wrong why and how that affects us? Sure. So the wrong why, I think it's really important that people understand that when I say the wrong why, why meaning your motive or reason for exercising or doing any other behavior for that matter, that there's no inherently wrong why. Um, the only reason a why might be wrong is because it doesn't keep you motivated, that why you're exercising doesn't lead you to, doesn't generate the type of positive feelings we have about exercise, um, the type of um, emotions that we have while we're moving our bodies so that it doesn't lead to staying motivated over time. So I call in my model, um, the vicious cycle of failure, the wrong whys are really evidence-based wrong whys. They're, they're in particular medicalized reasons for exercising, which is related to better health or, or weight loss. And they're the wrong why simply because they don't keep people motivated. Now, someone could say, well, I have a why of exercising to control my weight and it keeps me, I keep, I, it keeps me motivated. So how could it be a wrong why? And, and for that person, it might not be a wrong why, but it, for that person, if that person feels shamed 
ashamed of their body while they're exercising because their their reason for exercising is so intertwined with um, societal norms and pressures that they you know, that they feel ashamed or bad about themselves, that type of experience could turn it into a wrong lie because it actually impacts their mental health in a negative way. So that's what a, a wrong lie is basically something that doesn't keep us motivated or actually makes us feel bad about ourselves in the process. You know, when you were talking about motivation and blame and judgment and, and, and that kind of thing, um, have, do you feel like, you feel like the way people react with blame and judgment to themselves um, has changed since since you did the research and, and wrote your book. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of speaking more towards the idea of like since since 2016, the the internet and the social media piece has been very polarizing. And and I'm not, I mean, obviously politically, but but seems like a lot of other things too. Have you noticed blame and judgment has changed? in any of the research that you've seen or is it still the same way and we're just it's just more accentuated because we're paying attention a little more. well it, you know it, it could be it could be both of those things you know i've seen research i haven't conducted this research myself but i've seen research showing that participating in fitness related so you know uh i'm trying to think of the word you know like on facebook groups on facebook that that can cause people to do up, upward evaluations where you think about how you look compared to or how much you weigh or your body should compared to other people. So on the one hand, I've seen research showing that those types of things and Instagram really, you know, creates a false sense of what everyone is doing because of course we can airbrush pictures and we can talk about what we're doing without actually seeing what we look like on these, on these places. But on the flip side, some of these social media homes or groups promote a real sense of cohesiveness and community where people feel very supported to strive toward their goals. So, you know, I think it's both. I think it's really both. And I don't know if anything's changed on this front since, you know, 2016, but I, I think our society, I think there's a lot of pressure from the internet too. Yeah, Thank for you, sure. Michelle. There's so many, there's so many social masks that you we teach that in school with the kids all the time is talking about social masks and getting to know people, you know, cause you can always put a filter on it. You can always, you know, everybody's marriage looks like the happiest marriage in the world. If all they do is pose pictures and talk about their rocks and their reasons and all of those types of things, but you don't see them when they get up in the morning and you don't see them before their face is on and you don't see them when things aren't happy and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, I like, I like, that was a, that was a very good answer. I appreciate that. That kind of leads me into my next question. Uh, talking about your maps, the meaning, awareness, permission, and strategies, uh, that's been something I've been really trying to work with my students on. We just finished a project last week where they're trying to really identify their own maps. And some of the kids really struggled to do that. Others did an amazing job of it. But it leads me to the social... Uh, social media aspect, you know, the awareness of what really impacts us and what makes us think what we think and, and encourages us or discourages us from doing what we should do for ourselves. Do you mind taking a second and just uh, going over maps and what, what that is, what, what it means? Sure. Um, so maps is the acronym for, you know, the, the formula that organically presented itself to me as I was studying this over a few years in the 90s. And it stands for meaning. 
And basically the dichotomous, um, the dichotomy of meaning is, does exercise feel like a chore or a gift? And you can tell a lot from where people stand on that scale. So one is a chore, two, five is a gift. And when you ask someone that question, it, it gives you a window into their relationship with exercise and it tells you um, what your next question can be. Well, if someone says it's a chore, you can ask, well, why is it a chore? And that really helps you identify like a diagnostic what's going on. So that's meaning. Awareness reflects, you know, a couple of things. One is our self-awareness of what we believe about exercise. So going back to what we talked about earlier, which is what have we learned to believe is the right exercise? So do we believe that exercise has to make us sweat? Do we believe exercise is going to help us lose weight? Becoming aware of the beliefs we have helps us also understand what's getting in our way or what's getting in others' ways and how they can move forward. Um, also, awareness refers to the challenges that people have to exercise. So um, do you know, is it, it, do you hate walking in the rain? Uh, do you feel tired when it's time for exercise class? So becoming aware of truly what's getting in your way. P for permission stands for, do we give ourselves permission to prioritize our own self-care activities? And that goes back to the cancer study we talked about. The cancer survivors were not giving themselves permission to prioritize exercise once our study was over. And finally, the S stands for strategy, and it reflects the, the daily logistics. Okay, who, what, when, where are you going to be active? So that's what MAP stands for. Um, and it, it can help people identify for themselves or in their work with others. Again, going back to, is it a chore or a gift? Does your, does your self-care feel essential or optional? And when you start thinking about these things at this more headspace level, because that's what determines what we do every day. It's not the act of exercising. It's really how we think and feel about exercise as well as our own self-care. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it absolutely answers the question. Uh, it's just one of those things. I think sometimes people, especially with my students who are great kids and very intelligent kids, but they're young and it's just the maturity there to really apply that. Some, sometimes they struggle. So I was always looking for better ways to, to apply it. Um, our next question really goes into this podcast is mainly geared towards health and physical education teachers. And as we were talking about the gyms before and the fitness community and we advertisers, I know that our teachers across Pennsylvania, across the country are really well-intentioned, but I think sometimes because of our own backgrounds and our motivations, and we all come from a very athletic background and tend to be people who push ourselves physically, despite our best intentions, I think sometimes we might be a little bit misguided. And I'm wondering sometimes we might be partially to blame for this problem with people exercising when they come into our classes or their lack of pursuing it. What are some other ways that we could maybe better approach things? Uh, do you have any suggestions? Sure. So again, it, it goes back to awareness and map. So we can apply that in many situations. And so it's really important for the PE teachers to be aware of what motivated you, you know, what motivates you to exercise and what motivated you to become a PE teacher 
and what do you think is going to be most motivating to your students? And do you have experience what has not been motivating to them and, and what might be? And, and again, I really think it's important for PE teachers to not blame themselves or feel like it's their fault that they might be doing something that doesn't resonate with their students or doesn't motivate them to want to exercise because we've all been taught the same model and formula for exercise in society across society. And, and the deal is, is that it probably works for the PE teachers and it doesn't work for a lot of other people, but no one has taught us this. Our society is just getting to a point of recognition where, gee, you know, this might work for me, but it's not going to work for the masses. And I think that oh, that awareness and that realization is really a key shift um, for people to take and not just PE teachers. It's This is true of the fitness um industry more generally, if you, you know, when I talk to, to fit, to fitness clubs or the fitness industry players, it's a similar situation. Anyone who goes into a fitness career, or even I dare say exercise physiologists, you know, people who go into this field in general tend to be avid exercisers and big exercise fans. And so all we need to do is get that, become aware of it, and then we can, again, and, and, and this is true for education in general, not just physical activity. The research is clear. How do we get students to become self-motivated and persistently pursue their goals, even in the face of challenges, is the same answer. We need people to feel ownership over what they're doing. And I think that is, I'll stop there and see if you have any, if you guys have any thoughts about this. You know, I, I definitely, oh, oh, go ahead, Todd. Okay, okay, I was just going to say, what well, jumping in for me, like all of a sudden, I'm thinking like, you know, there's a lot of phys ed programs out there right now where kids show up every so many minutes at the interval that the school chooses and a new group walks in and says, what are we doing today? And the adult in the room says, this is what we're doing. And inevitably, between 25 and 75% of the kids will look at that adult in the room and kind of sigh and go, well, I don't like that. You know, right. I, I remember when I first started teaching, you know, fitness testing was a big deal. And I remember mile run day and, and we would announce it a week ahead. And the number of medical notes that I got <laughs> on mile run day was, was insane. And you're just looking at this and going, you're not all sick. You're not all injured, you know, because miraculously it was a one day illness, <laughs> a one day injury, you know, and it goes back to, I don't like to run and making you run isn't going to make you do that. So am I right in that? Would, or would you agree with the idea that as, especially at the secondary level, physical education programs really need to start looking at ideas to give kids choice for the fitness goal or whatever that goal is. Absolutely. Choice is, is a cultivator of ownership and positivity. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about like, how do you help kids figure out what they would enjoy doing? I mean, the, the reality is, and I've had a lot of now they're not student clients, but I've had so many clients over the years that had horrendous PTSD experiences in PE because they kept forcing their, their teachers forced their bodies to do things that they didn't want to do. They didn't have choice. They didn't have control. They felt a lot of shame. And that literally poisoned their whole relationship with physical activity into their 30s, 40s, and 50s, 60s. So I think what we've got to stop doing is this formulaic approach 
um, forcing people to do things. I mean, we know that doesn't work. We know it leads to negative experiences and relationships. You know, what about this? Because a lot of people, kids included, don't know what's going to feel good. So how do you get them to understand how to do it? The same way you get anyone to learn to better at anything, you ask them to teach it. If you flip the question and say, okay, you know, let's say for uh, a, a sixth, seventh, or even a fifth grader, you say, okay, your job is to help a three or four year old learn to really enjoy exercise. What would you do? How would you help them pick an activity that they like doing? And in the act of, of being the teacher, you actually learn how to do it yourself. So we want to not just give people choice, but put them, ask them to be, get curious, you know, especially when they don't know how to answer that question. Oh, thank you, Michelle. That I love that idea of flipping the, the situation or flipping the script so the student becomes the teacher. Uh, one of the greatest gifts, you talk about the gifts in your book and looking at, at you know, exercise as a gift and or how do you look at it. And I think one of the big, greatest gifts your book gave me is something I've been trying to do, and I'd really like to get your thoughts on it, and I think it's going well, is really asking kids in the beginning of the class, letting them differentiate, letting them pick their exercise intensity, focus on enjoy, focusing on enjoying the activity and staying in, somewhat in that comfort zone, maybe pushing into the stretch zone a little bit, but not where you're at that out of breath, over panting, situation on a regular basis. And then at the end of the class, leaving time to actually debrief and talk about how do you feel? And I heard you talk about this on another podcast recently, talking about focusing on in deliberately focus on how you feel after activity and what it does. You're not just assuming that kids get it, but you know, talking about, do you feel more energy? Do you feel relaxed? Do you feel more focused? And um, then the next week, I love that idea. And then the next week, I mean, maybe it's even a homework assignment at the end of the day or the next day. Did you notice anything different? I mean, here's a, here's an interesting experiment that PE teachers could do one day. They do exactly what you just said. And then the homework assignment, which actually could be an email back to the teacher later that day is, how do you think the experiences you had from physical activity from our class influenced how you felt and function? And then maybe another class, they actually don't move. They're not active. You guys do a sedentary activity, but you still have them do the evaluation to say, you know, how did you feel? And then you have to compare the two so that there could be some kind of realization like, oh, gee, when I move and have more energy, I actually feel this way later. But when I don't, I feel that way. Um, you know, I, I think it also comes back to I like to call it exercise kindergarten. You know, when people go to kindergarten, there's no rules. There's no heart rate. There, it's all about playing and color painting and, you know, just experimenting just to, to, for the very act of experimenting itself. And I think that's where we need to go, where we ask students to just play with movement and see how it feels just to do that. I love that. And that's one of the biggest, actually, that's been one of my biggest takeaways from this whole time at their homeschooling thing where we're online learning is I've done that and it's been really successful in asking the kids each assignment or activity that they do to take a minute, and reflect. And what were the two takeaways that they had or what, what, did the, 
going coming back out of the activity, what were the takeaways? What did you feel? And really, you get some great responses from kids about when they reflect on their exercise or their bike ride or their run or whatever it happened to be for them has been really positive. Michelle, the question I want to ask you is one that we... I don't want to tip our hand here to our interview methods, but one I love to love to ask in an interview that I learned from a principal once was, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us that we haven't asked you today? You know, something, that you, something new that you're excited about that could help us that we really haven't uh, gone there yet? Um, something that we haven't talked about. You know, I think something we haven't talked about that I think um, we do want to keep in the forefront of our minds, um, whether you're a PE teacher or uh, a physician or a nurse, whenever we're in a role of facilitating, you know, healthy behaviors like physical activity or changing the way we eat or getting enough sleep, and at a deeper level, those things are truly about our own self-care. And so if we don't also, we get, I would say to a great extent, a lot of the things we've talked about today have to do with motivation, which is the driver. And we can't stick with anything if we're not driven to do it. But that's only part of the equation. The other part is whether we, we feel comfortable, like the cancer survivors, actually prioritizing time in an activity like physical activity. And so the idea that our, we have to prioritize time for our own self-care to boost our sense of well-being you know, that's another conversation and it's just as important, if not more important than the conversation we've had today. Um, society has not taught us to prioritize time to boost our, our well-being. But in fact, if we don't value our own well-being, then a lot of the stuff we've talked about today won't be enacted either. So it's another part of the conversation that I think we all need to pay attention to. Are we just prioritizing time where we're a good parent, where we're going to, you know, do our jobs in a way that's going to lead to promotions? Um, if those are the, if we're only, if we're always focused on these external roles and achievements, then we're going to miss out on our, our, in, our internal innate messages that we're sending to ourselves about, gee, are we actually taking care of our, our bodies in the way that they need to? And of course, everyone's different in what they need, but I think that's another thing that really I want to leave people with. Thank you so much. I love the idea that, you know, we talk about exercise because it makes you feel good and it makes it gives you energy and all those feelings that drive us over what we look like or our appearances or because we want to lose weight. I love the idea that it, it's about how you feel. And I know that's what drives me. I feel better when I exercise. Simple as that. You know, and as I listen to you talk too about motivation, I'm, I'm reminded of one of the first books I read about motivation and, and probably to this day, still one of my favorites is Dan Pink, Dan Pink's Drive. And in talking about, you know, I, and I wonder, it's probably a whole podcast in and of itself, but talking about the carrots and sticks mentality that most corporate areas come from. So that would be our parents coming home, living in a carrots and sticks world they grew up in as parents. So if you do this, you get a carrot. If you do that, you get a stick and, and so on. And we talk about intrinsic motivation with about autonomy, mastery, and purpose from, from Dan's book. Uh, it it kind of correlates really the same with exercise. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the PAPE podcast. Uh, Michelle will be featured keynote at the 2020 State Conference at Spooky Nook, 
uh, from December 3rd and 4th. Uh, Michelle, where can we find you online if people want to look up, look you up and find out your, about your book and find out where to find you on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you're at? Can you tell us? Sure. Where you know, my website is michelleseeger.com and there's information about my book there. Um, my Twitter handle is at michelleseeger. So um, yeah, if these ideas resonate with your audience, I hope that they'll come to the conference and um, you know, I wrote No Sweat in a way that it hopefully would be useful to professionals. Um, so I'm glad, you know, Dave and Todd, that the ideas in it resonated with you. So thank you for the opportunity to connect more. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us today. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time on the PAPE podcast. And special thanks today to our guest, Dr. Michelle Seeger, and co-hosting today, President Dave Schmidt. Thanks for joining us today on the PA Health and PE podcast. Special thanks to Dave Schmidt for co-hosting with me today. And very special thanks to Dr. Michelle Seeger, author of No Sweat and our 2020 keynote at the conference December 3rd and 4th at Spooky Nook. Look forward to seeing everyone there. Hopefully we'll be able to have it. We'll let you know here sometime in June. We'll make that decision. As always, if you have any feedback for this episode or any other episodes, there is a Flipgrid in the show notes. Please do click in that. Leave us a recording. Leave us a message. Let us know what you think of this podcast or any others. If you have ideas for future guests or topics, you can leave those there as well. And as always, we appreciate your support of the PA Health and PE podcast. <laughs>